Hi, everyone. Welcome to Six Figure Authors, the show that helps you take your writing career to the next level. I'm Andrea Pearson, and I'm here with my two co-hosts. I'm Lindsay Baroker. And I'm Joe Lalo. Uh, our guest this week is Victorine Liskey, uh, and, Lis- and Victorine, I have to be like, how do you say your last name? I don't know how to say your last name. <laughs> you did great. Thanks. Um, Victorine self-published her f- first book, Not What She Seems, in April of 2010. In March of 2011, Not What She Seems began its six-week run on the New York Times bestselling ebook list. By May 2011, she had sold over 100,000 copies. Um, Victorine's first romantic comedy novel hit the USA Today bestselling books list in January of 2015. So she does a lot of romance, um, but she also has several nonfiction books for authors available, including How to Write a Swoonworthy Sweet Romance and Whole Book Marketing and Indie Author's Guide to Selling Books. Welcome to the show, Victorine. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. I've been like, you know, I've known you. How many years have I known you? Have we known each other? Oh, all of that. Yeah, all of that, all the years. <laughs> yeah, I, I like was like in awe of you in the early days, you know, when you were doing all of your huge New York Times. And we were like, is that possible? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yep. So we're really excited to have you on. And we're just going to go right into questions if that's all right with you. Absolutely. Sweet. Okay. Could you tell us about your writing career and what led you to indie publishing? Sure. So I have a little bit of a different story than most authors. Uh, Most of the time when authors talk about their um, journey into writing and publishing, they say, yeah, I was, you know, wanted to be a writer ever since I was little. I was sending out query letters at age 12 and stuff like that. And and that's not really my story at all. Um, I loved to read growing up and I read tons of books. And in the back of my mind, I thought it'd be really cool to write a story. And I think when I was maybe 10, I wrote a few pages of a story in a, a notebook and um, that kind of was all I ever did. And I got married and had kids and started a business and we were selling rubber stamps and we had a store and we were just super busy. And so that was my life. And it, it was didn't really include writing at all. And um, then we closed our store down and we started just doing um, wholesale rubber stamps and selling through eBay and stuff like that. So we kind of had our business in our basement and um, just working all the time in my basement doing that stuff. And one day I um, was getting my daughter out of her car seat. She was really little and now she's 17. So you know how long ago that was. Um, and I did something to my back. And I don't know exactly what I did because we didn't have health insurance at the time. So I didn't go get it seen, but it, it hurt really, really bad. <laughs> it hurt so bad that I, I couldn't walk really. And I, I needed help going to the bathroom and stuff like that. So I was like, uh, I am going to have to be on bed rest till this heals. And I knew it was muscular. I knew it. I didn't like slip a disc or anything. It just felt like I had pulled a muscle and it just hurt really bad. Um, so I laid on the bed and I put my laptop on my lap and I said, I'm going to write that book that I've always wanted to write. And I, I wrote my first book in a week and being really naive and, and dumb to the publishing world. I thought I was done. I was like, yay, I wrote a book. Now I need to go, you know, find a printer who can print up this book for me and then I'll sell it to stores. And that's how dumb I was. <laughs> so luckily I found a critique group online before I found a printer or, or a vanity publisher who would take my money. <laughs> And I joined this critique group and I started submitting chapters and quickly realized that what I thought was a fantastic book needed tons of work. So I spent the next several years submitting chapters over and over and I I rewrote the entire book several times um, and um, really polished it up. And by the time, I think it was maybe the third time I was submitting chapters through to this critique group, people were starting to say, I don't really have a lot of feedback for you, but this is really good. And I want the next chapter. And at that point I was like, okay, so I know I might have something here because people are telling me they really want the next chapter and the next chapter. So I started researching publishing. And and by that time I kind of knew a little bit more about the publishing world. I knew I, I wanted an agent and things like that. So I submitted to a few agents and all the while I was kind of reading a lot of blogs and keeping up with what was happening in the publishing industry. And, and, um, one of the blogs I really liked was Joe Conrath's blog. And he talked a lot about how to, um, 
sell your books to publishers and how to look good to the publishers. You want to do a book tour. And when you, when you go do this book tour, you want to um, buy out all the books that didn't sell at the store. So it looks like a sellout to your publisher and stuff like that. And, and at the time we were still manufacturing rubber stamps in our basement. And we, we were, you know, shipping out boxes of stamps to all over the world, to Germany and Japan and, and all these stores that were carrying our stamps. And that was really my life. Um, I didn't have time or money to go traveling to bookstores and buy out all these books, like, like Joe was saying. So when I got my first, um, email back from an agent, I remember being nervous, opening it up. And when the agent said, sorry, this project isn't for us. I remember this sigh of relief coming over me and I'm like, Oh, good. <laughs> then I don't have to do all this stuff <laughs> that I didn't really want to do. <laughs> And then I stepped back and went, oh, why am I sending all these query letters out to agents if I don't really want to do this? So I kind of put it on the back burner for a while um, and just sort of said, okay, I wrote a book, maybe I'll send it you know, to family or something like that and didn't really think much about it. But I was still kind of keeping track of what Joe Conrath was saying on his blog. And when he started talking about self-publishing and how he was making more money with his rejected novels that he had self-published than he was with his traditionally published books, I went, oh, you know what? I could do this from home. I don't have to go anywhere. I don't have to, you know, spend money buying out all these books and, and doing all this stuff. I can just you know, put my book up on Kindle and see if it sells. So I was like, this is for me. So that's really what made me go, I want to try this out. And so I did, I slapped it up on Kindle and, um, I was watching it real close. And, and a week later I hadn't sold any and, I started doing some research about my book and, and where it fit on the shelf and things like that. Cause I, I really didn't have a clue about any of that. Um, and I looked at all the books that were like mine. And my book cover was completely different from all the other books. And I said, I need a new cover. So I recovered it probably after seven days of um, publishing it. And that's really what made a big difference. It started selling after that. And um, I got really involved in like Kindle boards and things like that with other authors and started um, talking with other authors about what to do to sell your book. And so I tried anything and everything that people said. People said, start a blog and, and that'll sell your book. So I started a blog and that didn't work. <laughs> and they said, make a trailer and that'll sell your book. And I did that. And, and I did all of everything that you could think of to sell my book. And when it actually started selling like enough that I was like, oh my goodness, it, I, I sold 10 copies today. I sold 20 copies today. Where, where are these sales coming from? I looked at my blog and I looked at my trailer that I did and, and the people weren't coming from there. I, I, you know, I only had a few views on these, this and that and anything. And I was like, where are all these sales coming from? Well, every month my sales went higher and higher and higher. And I didn't really know where it was coming from until some lady somewhere emailed me and said, I read your book. I really enjoyed it. I'm so glad Amazon um, recommended it to me. And I went, what? Amazon is recommending my book? <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's where my sales are coming from. <laughs> so that's really what clued me in on um, why I started selling really well and why the book was skyrocketing in in the in the ranks. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because J.A. Conrath's blog was sort of the, one of the first things I found too. And I decided, like, I started at the end of 2010. And I think maybe you were just a little bit ahead because I, I think I remember you changing your cover. Like, it was literally, it was very distinct, wow. like a dagger or something. Like, and I, you know, yes. it was very, um, I remember it in like Daniel Aronson's Dragon covers. Yeah. Those are the only covers I remember from back then. So, you know, I don't have a great memory. So, <laughs> me neither. <laughs> it must have done the job. And you were, it was a thriller, right? This was your first book. It, it was a romantic suspense. It has a little bit of a romance in it, but I didn't write the romance really well. So it's mostly mystery suspense. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so you've been in the business for at least 10 years now. Uh, what are some changes? Like, how have you had to adapt and kind of pivot over the years? Oh, my goodness. There's been so many changes. And I, I think um, 
they happen and, and then you kind of forget about them. So I don't know that I could list all the changes, but one of the big changes is like Kindle Unlimited and, and that thing coming about and Amazon kind of playing with different things. Amazon um, played with um, like Kindle Scout for a while and, and stuff like that. So there, there've been a lot of changes. Um, maybe one of the biggest was the royalty change when, when Amazon went from paying 35% royalties, I think it was, um, to 70% royalties. That was a major change. And that actually was one of the things that, um, kicked off my sales because everybody started raising their price to two ninety nine to get that higher royalty. And I lowered my price uh, to 99 cents when everybody raised their price. And um, I think that was a, one of the key things that um, helped my book sell. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I guess it must have been just a little after you because it was already that 70% when I started. Um, um, so you've kind of moved more to romantic comedy, it sounds like. What, what's kind of what made you decide to, I guess, genre hop? It sounds like it's all kind of maybe under romance, but that you've done quite a bit. Yes. So when I first started writing, I had um, my reading library was a lot of mystery, a lot of um, suspense novels, but I, I also really liked the romance, but what I was reading didn't have a lot of romance in it. So what I wrote was a lot of like Mary Higgins Clark type stuff, but I stuck a romance thread in there because I am a romantic at heart and, and um, wanted some kind of romance in there. Um, but then when I started for real writing, because, because of the way that I started writing just as a, oh, I'm just going to do this on a whim. I really thought I was like a one book author. I was going to write one book and that was going to be it. And I really didn't plan on writing any other books. And so, um, when the book took off and, um, agents started emailing me and saying, do you have anything else? I'm like, uh, not really. I have some weird sci-fi I started a while ago. You want to see that? <laughs> so it was, it was kind of um, interesting because people were wanting more from me and I really hadn't planned on that at all. So um, when I started deciding to, okay, I'm really going to, you know, make this a career. I'm going to write more and, and really try and sell this thing. Um, I was, I had transitioned from reading a lot of suspense into reading a lot of sweet romance. And since that's what I was diving into and reading a lot of, um, that's what I decided I was going to learn how to write. All right. So, uh, it's, it's interesting because you mentioned, you know, I have this weird sci-fi that I started like a lot of people, like you, you mentioned how your, 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 uh, your journey was different. And so you didn't sort of have, you weren't developing this book for 10 years over the course of your life as a lot of people did. And that was like their pet project and they use that to launch. Exactly. Um, like, so you, you, when, when you decided to become serious and you, and you, you, uh, you picked uh, the new genre, like, was it just because that's what you were reading or did you look into the market and see like how well, like if that would be a, a sound financial decision? Oh, you know, I didn't really look at the market as far as deciding on the genre. I decided on it because that's really where my heart was at at the time. I was like, I really loved all the sweet romance I was reading and I, I really wanted to learn how to do it well. Um, but I actually did do some market research before I wrote um, my first sweet romance, which was Accidentally Married. Um, I didn't know I was doing market research. <laughs> This is how naive I am. Um, I just went out on Amazon and I looked at the sweet romances that were selling at the time. And I noticed a lot of them had brides on the covers. And a lot of them were about um, either fake marriage or um, runaway bride or something like that. And, and I thought, oh, wouldn't it be fun to write a story where somebody accidentally gets married? And so I, I designed the cover and I picked a title before I even wrote one word of the book. And that was actually market research, but I didn't really know I was doing market research at the time. <laughs> so it, it actually surprised me when I put it up for sale in the middle of the night and I didn't tell a soul. And I woke up the next morning and, and I had sold like 10 copies. And I was like, wow, I didn't even tell anybody it was out. How did they know? <laughs> well, now I know that it's because I did my micro research and I, I knew um, what was selling well and I designed it specifically for that. Yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> You're like, this is going great. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, we're going to transition to shooting for bestseller list. This is not something we've talked a lot about on the on the podcast. I don't know entirely why. Probably because it's a topic that we everybody beat to death like eight years ago, right? But it's still something that authors are fascinated by. And so I was like, let's let's discuss this for a little bit. Um, yeah, you were one of the very first self-published authors who hit the New York Times list. Uh, what sort of takeaways do you have from that experience that can be applied today? Oh, you're probably going to hate my answer. <laughs> so my biggest takeaway from that was it didn't really help my sales. <laughs> uh, I had peaked my sales about a month before my book actually hit the New York Times list. So I, I kind of peaked and, and kind of held my place for a little bit. And then I was on the downslide when um, I hit the list um, the very first week. And I was on there for six weeks, but every week my sales were going down down, down, just slowly. They were kind of like a parachute, just slowly going down. And I thought, oh my goodness, now that I hit the list, it's going to explode and everybody's going to know about my book and it's going to be great. But really, it, it didn't really do anything for sales. Um, it's great to be able to put it on the cover of your book, like you're a New York Times bestselling author and, and a lot of people aspire to that. And then I think it does help convert people if they're on the fence about buying a book and they see, okay, other people like this author, there's some credibility there, but I don't really think it's your ticket into massive sales because really it didn't, I didn't see much uh, of anything as far as a bump when it hit the list. I think one of the reasons we don't talk about it that much is that, and people should know, you can't do this if you're exclusive with Amazon. You have to be in at least two bookstores that report to all of the list, basically. So that is something to remember for those of people that are doing the KU thing. Um, but yeah, it's a great, it's sort of like a resume builder. Like if you want to, you know, it does not hurt to put it on your book title or in the blurb. And I've heard, I don't know if it's true that if you'd like applying for a book, Bob, and if you can throw that in there, that maybe they'll uh, <laughs> look upon you more favorably. Um, yeah, I know I you, it does help. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I just was going to agree with you. I think it does help a little bit. It, it, it may nudge you a little closer. I still have book, book, Bob reject me. So <laughs> it's not a shoe in. <laughs> It happens to all of us. <laughs> um, and I, I think you have a Facebook group too, and we're actually going to ask about that a little later. So you've kind of um, worked with a lot of authors, it sounds like. And so have you seen other people, like what, what would you recommend if somebody did want to try to get on the list, like stacking a bunch of promos or what are you guys doing right now? So um, I am in a in a group with three other authors. We, we call ourselves the Writing Gals. And um, the other three authors did want to make a list. So they, um, together with um, other authors, um, put together um, a compilation book. And they they ran for a for a USA Today bestseller tag, and they got it. Um, what I learned from that experience is it, it does take some money. Everybody puts in a decent amount of money to, um, pay for a lot of ads that you're going to have to buy. Um, and you do need to make sure that all the books together don't exceed the limit that Amazon will allow, um, for word count in your book. So you need to know that and you need to, um, you need to have a really strong, um, list of authors. You need well-known names um, and people who have a pretty decent following, people who have a pretty big mailing list who can really push the book. Um, you you definitely want a strong um, book cover and things like that. So um, they did that. It, it took, I want to say they were working on it probably six to eight months before it actually came out and it was up on pre-order quite a long time. Um, and some of the channels now this was before Amazon let you put it up for a really long time. Um, so they were on some of the channels for, um, I want to say the whole like eight month period when they were getting sales, because you want to get a lot of pre-sales, um, in order to make that list. And I know people have said, well, you need to sell this many or, or whatever to make the list. And I don't know that I can give you an actual number of what to shoot for. I'm thinking it was around, um, you want around 6,000 sales, um, per, 
um, place that you're putting it up. Uh, one of the big places like Barnes and Noble and, and Amazon and those, I, that's, that's my guess, but you know, I'm, I'm a forgetful person and I'm not a numbers person. So that could be way off, but I think if you shoot for that, you have a pretty good chance of, of getting on the list. Yeah. I think it kind of depends a lot on t- like how competitive that week is too. It's very much, you're like competing against all the other books that are trying to get on it that particular week. Absolutely. Um, I've heard like maybe five, 6,000 might be enough for the USA Today list. Like just, to, they do like a top 150, but yeah, like more like 15,000 maybe for New York Times yes. and definitely pre-orders. Like if you can stack them, like, cause it'll all count on the release week. So that's how people use that. Um, I have heard that for the New York Times anyway, that they stopped allowing the, uh, and th- like, I'm not trying to but like the collection multi-author yes. bundles that used to be like, you know, you get 10 authors with big lists and you could do it. Um, so that may be another reason people aren't talking about it as much now. Cause if you had to do it yourself, <laughs> 15,000 sales, it can be a little challenging. Yes, uh, definitely. Even in romance where there, there is a really big audience. Yes. Yeah. I think most indie authors now are trying for the USA Today. I don't know very many who really try to get the New York Times list. Um, they've also, um, when I hit it, it was when they were doing eBooks only on their list. And now they combine, I think, eBooks with print books. And so it's, they made it much harder for indies to, to hit the list. Now, uh, from what you've described, like the way that, uh, not the way you got on, but the way that like, uh, campaigns to get on might run, uh, it's seems like the kind of thing where you need to sort of be halfway there, uh, in order to have a chance of getting all the way there, like get together with a bunch of people who are already known and, and all that stuff. So let's say that you're, you know, you feel as though you're on the cusp of this. You might be one of these names that if, if combined with others, uh, could get you there, but you're in KU because and I've established KU isn't going to do it. You got to be on at least, you know, uh, whatever, one or two more stories than that. Uh, do you think that giving a good solid push at it, like going wide specifically for this purpose, just to try to get the, get your letters, uh, is worth doing, or you think it's just sort of, you know, if you're at the level where you think you might be able to hit a bestseller list, just keep the course and, and don't worry too much about that upsetting the boat. Um, I, what, what my, um, writing gal friends did is they wrote something specifically for, um, hitting the list. And so it wasn't in KU, it was brand new and they, um, specifically wrote it for that. So yeah, I, it was wide when they, when they did that. And I think if you really want to hit the list, um, it would definitely be worth it. I'm trying to think of how long those stories were. I think they were around 15,000 words somewhere in there. Um, so if you're um, already writing quite a bit, that shouldn't take you horribly long to write a 15,000 word um, story just to, you know, go for it. So I think it's worth it. Yeah. And especially if it's something that you write specifically for hitting the list, so you're not having to remove it from KU. But personally, I don't know that I would because those readers that are wide, you know, it takes time to build up that wide audience, right? Um Okay. So we're going to talk a little bit. We have a couple questions about your Facebook group and, um, YouTube, et cetera, whatever. Um, so what sorts of behind the scenes things do you have to do to keep your Facebook group and podcast running? And for listeners, the Facebook group, Facebook group is writing gals and there's like 15,000 people on there and it's not just women. And it really is a really great group. I've really enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, what sorts of behind the scenes things do you have to do to keep it and running and the YouTube channel? Oh, thank you, Andrea. I'm so glad you like our group. Um, we called it the writing gals because the four of us are gals and we write. We thought that was cute name for us. But yeah, a lot of people get confused and think that it's just a group for um, women, but it is not. We welcome everybody um, into the group. We, the four of us write sweet romance, but we welcome all genres, all writers into our group. So we have um, a diverse um, amount of people in our group and it, it's just wonderful. I, I love it because it doesn't take a ton of time to, um, manage or anything. We have so many wonderful people in the group that if someone asks a question and all of us moderators are too busy to answer it, there's tons of people willing to give up their knowledge and answer questions. And I don't want to say it totally runs itself because we have to moderate and we have to approve posts. All posts are approved by one of the four of us. So that does take some time, but, um, 
doesn't take a ton of time. And when I have a few extra moments here and there, I like to go in and, and try to answer questions and, um, you know, make sure the tone of the group is helpful and happy. We, we don't like to, um, discourage new writers from asking really simple questions. Cause sometimes if you are in a group with a lot of advanced authors, sometimes it can get tiresome to answer the same question over and over again. But, um, I, I definitely don't want to, um, create an atmosphere where new um, writers are, are nervous to ask questions. And so we welcome all questions, even if it's how do I publish? Because, <laughs> you know, <laughs> there are there are videos on how to actually go in and publish. And I'll just point them over there and, and say, you know, here's some here's some videos you can watch and and um, maybe scroll through and, and look through some of the questions that are on here and it'll answer some of your um, simple questions. Yeah, that the whole post approval thing. When did you guys switch to that? Or was that something you guys always did? Because I don't remember it being there in the beginning. And I mean, I mean, our group is I don't know, was, do we have like 2000 people in our group? It's just for listeners of the podcast. But um, I don't know, maybe there's going to be a point where we will need to switch to post approval. I don't know. I guess that depends on how fast things come and how abusive people are towards each other, maybe. <laughs> Yes, exactly. I think we were around 5,000 people when we um, turned on post-approval. And it was mostly because people were putting up things like, um, you know, buy my book and, and just kind of um, not understanding the purpose of the group. And um, it took more time to scroll through and try and find those posts and delete them than it took um, to just approve, 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 delete, approve, you know, something like that. If they're all waiting for approval, you can just quickly go through and decide which ones are fine and which ones eh, not, not really what our group is about. Now you, you mentioned this a little bit, but uh, for, for like for, for the Facebook group, how often do you, do you find that you need to post something or manipulate or join the conversation to keep things lively? Uh, uh, yeah. So like, wh what's it take to keep the momentum going or maybe what did it take in the beginning before it was self-sustaining? Yeah, it's self-sustaining now, but in the beginning, I would say I probably spent oh, a couple hours a day kind of posting things and, and, and making sure there was conversation and um, pointing people to some informative articles or, or whatever. So yeah, it, it took a little bit of time. Um, but we kind of grew pretty fast, um, word of mouth spread pretty quickly and we, we grew pretty fast. So it, it wasn't long before it was the chatter and everything was pretty self-sustaining. And how does that compare to like the YouTube? Cause I know that YouTube tends to take a fair amount of upkeep in order to have anything, you know, real happening with it. Yeah. So, um, the YouTube channel is a challenge because, um, the three other writing gals have younger kids. I, my kids are pretty older and, and so they don't take a, a ton of time and, and nurture anymore. Cause they're, teenagers and, and up. Um, but the other three writing gals have younger kids. And so we started out doing this late night show where you put your kids to bed and then get on and, and, um, talk about publishing and writing late at night. And, um, then that didn't really work for, for some of the ladies. And so we were now doing it in the afternoon, but if you have to go pick up your kids from school at a certain time and, um, you know, you're constrained by that. It, it, we like to really dive in and answer all your questions. Um, and so sometimes we have to cut our, our, um, podcast a little short because one thing happens or, you know, somebody has got a dance thing to go to or, or whatever. So it has been a little bit of a challenge, but we try to get on and do a show twice a month. Um, we were doing it once a week when we first started and that was great for growing, but, um, it just became too much for all of us. So we do it twice a month now and, um, try to hit on topics that people are, um, really interested in. Uh, yeah, the whole, uh, kids thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like word. Yes. <laughs> um, so, okay. So we're going to transition to like marketing and promoting and then, you know, kind of, you know, talking around your, your whole book marketing, uh, topic a little bit here, but what role does marketing play in your, um, success? Oh, yes. 
I love it when people come ask me, um, so what do you do for marketing? Because my book isn't selling and, and I really need to know all your secrets for marketing. And, and I tell them, well, 90% of what I do for marketing is um, what I do before I actually publish the book. So it's my market research. It's um, going out and seeing what's selling, um, figuring out what kind of cover I need to put on my book, figuring out how to word my blurb to get people interested. All of those things, I think matter way more than, um, like where you're placing your ads. I do have ads going. Um, I do that as well, but I have books that I have written just because I had a story in me and I really wanted to write it. And they weren't, um, books that I did any market research on They're They're just my four love books. And, um, I can put hundreds of dollars of ads on those and they just don't sell very well. So, um, I would say most of what I do for marketing happens before I ever publish the book. And like I said, market research, figure out what's selling. Well, I think the secret to selling books is figuring out what people want to read and then giving that to them. And when I say people, I mean, don't go do a survey to your, your hundred friends that you have on Facebook, because that's not going to give you really what the market wants you, we need to go out and see what's selling really well on Amazon and, and don't write, you know, a steamy romance just because you think that sells better than anything else. You need to figure out what's what you're passionate about, what you read, what you really like and figure out how to write in that vein and what that market wants. Yeah. I always feel like people should just write whatever they want for their first book and series and then try it. You never know. Like the thing you love may have great commercial appeal. And if nothing else, you're going to learn a lot in the experience, but then you might decide like if you're not selling any books and you've re-blurbed and you've recovered and it's just not working, maybe then, you know, you try writing on something else that you still love, hopefully, but maybe yeah. it's has more of an audience. Like if it doesn't fit firmly into a category on Amazon, you just, it's an uphill battle from the start. I think it is. Yes, definitely. So what are some of the common mistakes you see from authors when it comes to marketing? So I think the biggest mistake I see is people um, feeding money into a machine that just eats their money. So, um, my analogy is if you had three machines sitting in front of you, one of them, you put a dollar in and 50 cents comes out. One of them, you put a dollar in and a dollar comes out. And the last one you put a dollar in and $2 comes out, which machine are you going to put your money in? You're going to put your money in the one that doubles your money. So if you have three books and you're spending marketing dollars on your, on your books and they're just not selling, then, then find the book that gives you a return. And that's what you want to put all your money on. So that's probably the biggest mistake I see. Yeah. I, I hate when people are saying they're trying the ads and I, you know, they asked me to look at their page and I'm like, you need to get good covers before Like don't spend money on advertising. If people aren't telling you, Oh, that's an awesome cover. Yes. Like, you just got to have the product description, the pay, you know, the product has to be really good. And, and all of us, like I have certainly have books that like, they don't really, uh, like I cannot make them break even on ads unless it's part of a series and then maybe it's worth it. But I have other ones well, that can break even on one, you know, like I'll be making more than I'm spending. And like you said, I think it's really worth, uh, you know, and obviously new authors are not going to have a whole bunch to experiment with first, but eventually you kind of find like, okay, for whatever reason, this series is a little more, target audience, marketable, that kind of thing. Yes, absolutely. All right. Well, I'll pass it to Joe to the next question. I forgot to tell him in the chat. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, this is leads pretty well from what we we're just talking about. Let's say an author's got more than one series or and maybe they're even in two different genres, but you've got, you've got some established stuff. Should your marketing be done simultaneously across multiple different series or multiple different genres? Uh, or would you better, like you mentioned, you know, focusing on the book that's selling well, but also it seems like focusing on your newest release is usually a good idea too. So like, where do you split your money like that? Yeah, absolutely. I will, I will, um, put money into the, the, 
the proven books that are selling well for me that I know if I advertise them, they're going to do well. And, and I also should say, I don't just look at the first book in a series. If I'm putting money into that, I look at the sales across. So I may lose money on um, advertising one of the books, but if it's raising all of the book sales, then I will um, count all of that towards the advertising dollars that I'm spending. Um, but I definitely do put advertising dollars into my new releases because Amazon will take your new release and they will automatically start seeing who is going to buy it. And they're going to put some advertising behind that without you doing anything. And so I help that along by um, giving some advertising dollars to my new releases as well. Now, you've also co-authored a book on writing to market. What do you think the state of that is? We're recording this in 2021. Is it still possible to kind of find those underserved audiences and little niches where like there's a huge demand that's not being met? Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely think so. Um, I think sometimes it's a little bit of luck in there. Um, but I like to think of it more as um, prepared luck because it's, you're, you're not going to hit on a, a major streak of luck if you haven't done your research, right? If you don't know what people are reading and you, you don't know what they're buying. So let's say you really like um, vampires and they're not hot right now. There's still a market for vampire books. So go out and, and read all the books that are selling. And if you can... Um, kind of twist the trope a little bit to something a little new, but still familiar. Um, you can, you can maybe hit something that will raise up all, um, the other books that are selling in, in that genre. So I think, I think you can, you can get lucky only if you really know what you're doing. Does that make sense? <laughs> well, sometimes people just happen to really love something that's kind of perennial, perennially hate that word you know, trophy yeah. or hot or like the thing. And they don't even know it. They just, I love biker romance novels. Who doesn't? Yes, I agree. Um, so one of the things I complains or frustrations, I should say, like, I feel like it's a valid complaint. Yeah, a frustration I see is from newer authors that like it's pay to play. If you don't have thousands to spend on your book launch, you're just never going to make it. Do you feel that's true or is it still possible to break out by kind of hitting, you know, doing your research, hitting the tropes well and having, you know, a good product and, and cover and all that stuff? So I think it's pay to play for authors who really want to advance their, their income to the next level. I don't think it's pay to play um, for new authors who want to break in um, because I know authors right now doing extremely well without spending any ad money. Um, and they're just writing and um, in a, in a niche genre that they've researched and they love to write in and they're hitting the market really well. Um, now writing in a, a solid market and hitting it well will only take you so far. So I think the pay to play comes in, um, right there where you're at this point, you're making maybe five, $6,000 a month, but you put out another book and it doesn't raise that up. You put on another book and it doesn't break through that cap. I think that's where the pay to play comes. You need to then look at, okay, I, I have this nice backlist now. I can start doing ad, running ads and um, pushing up maybe some of those older books because Amazon doesn't like to push the, the older the book gets, the, the more it kind of slips down in rank because Amazon likes to push the new shiny things. And, and so sometimes you have to um, put some money into that backlist to, to get above that cap where you're at. Now you, you've been writing in series for a while. How does writing a series affect your marketing plan? And like, for example, when it comes to planning the series out, the trope to use, things like that, how does all of that affect how you plan out a series and what sorts of marketing strategies you, you're going to be using? So yes, I, I do like writing in series. I'm, I'm terrible at it though, because my books aren't usually really interconnected. Um, the series that I write in, usually it's either a, a certain place, um, that ties it together or a, a trope or, or something like that. Um, I kind of like to be free to, to have my characters 
go different places and, and do different things. So, so I don't like to be tied into um, one particular thing. So I'm, I'm not really good at um, interconnecting my books. So they're, they're pretty much standalones that all have something similar in common to make them a series. Um, when I'm planning my series, I just kind of try to figure out what I want for that thread to tie all the books together. And then I try to figure out how to make each book um, really marketable in and of itself, if, if that makes sense. It does. And I am currently writing romance again. Like I, I decided to take a break from contemporary from fantasy to focus on romance. And I'm just like, there's so many tropes and trying to keep track of all of them and which ones I enjoy. And I've noticed that some authors write the same tropes over and over again, and it works for them. But I'm like, do readers feel like they're being tricked? I mean, <laughs> I'm like, in fantasy, you can't do that. I'm like, you already wrote about a magical key. You can't do that again. It's not the same in romance. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So, sorry. Um, how should an author without a newsletter list or a platform? So like somebody who's just starting out or maybe has one or two books, how should they, um, approach marketing or running their business? What should be the first things they put into place? So definitely newsletter is the, the first thing I would um, put into place. Um, if you're brand new and you have nobody on your newsletter, don't sweat it. Don't, don't stress out too much about it. I know a lot of people get get um a little worried that I have five people on my list what do I send them every week you know and they get all worried about um what to send out and and um do I have to really write all this new content each week for this newsletter and I, I tell people, don't stress about it. Just start gathering up names. You don't even have to send your newsletter weekly. You know, I know authors who send once a month. Um, when I first started, I only sent a newsletter when I had a new book come out. And that was like once a year. So, <laughs> and nobody complained to me. I, I don't know anybody who's going to say, I'm not getting enough emails. Come on. <laughs> I want more emails. <laughs> so don't stress about what you're sending out. You can, you can just relax about that and just um, have something at the back of your book. Um, maybe write a reader magnet so you can entice people to join your ma mailing list if they get a free story um, and do that. Uh, what I would say when you're, when you're launching your, your brand new first book, I would see if you can um, just get to know some other authors who write in your genre and see if they would be kind enough to mention your book in their newsletter. It's not really a swap because you, you don't have anything to give them other than maybe mentioning your book on social media. Um, but you know, I know tons of authors who would be happy to, you know, mention some new author's book just to help them start out and get their foot in the door. I, I think that's probably one of the best things you can do, not only to get word out about your book, but um, in those first early several days that your book is on Amazon, Amazon is trying to figure out who is going to buy this book. And if you have it in some newsletters from other authors who are writing exactly what you write, it will spur sales of the exact people that you need to buy your book because then Amazon will see, ah, look, these 10 people who bought this book buy all these other sweet romances. This must be a sweet romance. And so I'm going to start promoting it to all the sweet romance, um, people who buy sweet romance. If you're a brand new author and you publish your book and you, you just tell your friends and family, they're all going to be supportive and, and go out and buy your book, but that's going to completely confuse Amazon because, you know, your mom probably doesn't buy your genre and, you know, Aunt Betty only buys cookbooks and, and that's just going to confuse Amazon. They're not going to know who to show your book to. And then it's going to kind of kill that natural um, promotion that Amazon will do. So I would say the most important thing is to get some other authors to promote your book for you before you tell anybody that you've um, published your book. And, and that will kick in those algorithms to help you sell that book to the people who want to buy it. And thank you for doing that for me, by the way. <laughs> Oh, sure. <laughs> my new book. And my mom's name is Betty and she does read sweet romance. And so that's, that was actually <laughs> helpful having her read my book, but, um, that's great. Okay. So one more question for me from now, but how should an author, Oh, sorry. I asked that one. 
how does, how does your marketing business plan look for new releases compared to backlist books? All right. So, um, newsletter swaps definitely for a new release. Um, I have basically two release patterns that I've done and I'm playing with them right now. Um, I am doing the release at full price with a pre-order and trying to get as many, um, pre-orders as I can. I have the first couple of chapters of my next book in the back of my last latest book. And so I'm really making a push for people to pre-order this book and, um, see how many uh, pre-orders I can build up. I'm not going to put it on sale when it comes out. I'm going to spend a lot of money on ads to try and push it higher in the ranks and try and and get that next book pre-ordered as well because I will have the first couple of chapters of the next book when I launch this one. And so that's my plan right now. Um, Previous to this series, um, my plan was publish as soon as the book is ready. Um, Don't do a pre-order publish it at 99 cents. Don't tell anybody for the first several days and let it just kind of rise on its own for the first few days, get some natural sales, and then um, slowly roll out um, the marketing with newsletter swaps and buy up some ads on places like e-reader news today and and um, Robin Reads and places like that, that will advertise a 99 cent book. And um, that had worked really, really well for me in the past. And I call it like the slow launch method. So it takes about 10 to 12 days of um, trying to raise your rank slowly over that time. And that just tells Amazon, hey, this book is is selling well and people are liking it. And um, I want to you know promote this book to other people because people are buying this book. So those are my two launch methods. Um, the jury's still out on the pre-order thing. It's not working for me as well as my slow launch method had in the past. Um, so I'm still kind of playing with it, trying to tweak my um, methods and, and see if I can and get it to work better for me. Yeah, I noticed too, I just had a launch that it took a few days to get the Amazon ads to actually kind of kick in and start going. So that's where another thing where a pre-order can help. Like if you start running them a few days before or, you know, even however long you want to do it, just so that by the time you want to ramp it up, you kind of already know which ones are going to work and you can just shut off the ones that are not doing that well. Yep, absolutely. Uh, for advertising, you mentioned, I know we've talked about Amazon ads. Are, is there anything else that you're finding super effective right here in uh, 2021? Um, I haven't done this cause I'm, um, kind of social media dumb, <laughs> but I know other authors who are playing around with TikTok videos and finding some success with, um, creating fun TikTok videos about their books and, um, putting those out. I've, I've seen several books raise up like really high for a few days on Amazon from a TikTok video. So that's something authors are playing around with. I just don't know enough about TikTok and I'm, you know, just still nervous. My brother is, um, he works in Washington, DC and, uh, with high profile stuff and probably can't tell me his exact job because he'd probably have to kill me if he did, but (laughs) he warned me against TikTok because of the security issues with it. So I'm still a little nervous to get on there and, and play with it. Um, but I know some authors who've done really well with that. Um, Facebook ads still, I think I hear people having success with that. Facebook kicked me off of their ads. (laughs) So I don't do Facebook ads anymore. Cause I had a book called don't bet on love. And I think they thought I was trying to promote gambling or something. I don't know. <laughs> it was stupid, but I am banned from Facebook ads. I know I'm such a rebel. Um, so I'm, I must be dangerous to Facebook, but <laughs> so most of my ad spend is on, um, Amazon ads. And I also do discount my books and make them free and, and buy up ads on places like e-reader news today and all of those places. And I find that to be super helpful as well. Depending on when your ban was like, there were a lot of people around the election, uh, presidential election in the U S that were getting banned. They were just like, so hyper 
censoring everything. I don't know. So you could probably appeal it. Like, I think, I feel like David Gogren has appealed it like three times or something. Like I've seen him mentioning on Twitter, banned from Amazon or banned from Facebook again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Unfortunately I was banned. And then they, it was before the election. It was like, I don't know, maybe a year before that happened. And, and I kept appealing it over and over again. And they reinstated me a couple of times and then they kept banning me again and again. And then now I'm banned from appealing it. So (laughs) it's just like, whatever. I I created an ad account with my husband's Facebook. And so if I am desperate and I really want ads, I can run it on his, but they keep shutting those down too. So I don't know. Wow. Maybe you should stay off TikTok. You don't want any. That's China owns part of that one. They might, you know, clearly some kind of threat to national security. Uh, I I must be. Um, so it looks like you're in Kindle Unlimited with your books now. Uh, we talked about being wide if you want to do the bestseller list. Uh, and for other reasons, some authors don't want to be exclusive to Amazon. What are your thoughts on, like, is it, do you need to be exclusive? I mean, I know you don't need to be, but like for your genres, are you finding that it's just like it's much easier if you are exclusive or what are your thoughts on that? Oh, golly. I know authors in my genre who are um, exclusive and I know authors who are wide and still selling really well. So I think it kind of depends on um, you and what you prefer and what you try. Because sometimes you, you can look at an author and you can do exactly what they're doing and it's just not working like it does for them. Um, and then you try something else and it works for you and it didn't work for them. So I, I don't know what it is, but um, sometimes just playing around and figuring out what works for you is the best thing to do. I know some, sometimes it feels like it's a big, um, fight between, oh, well, this is better over here. Nope. It's better to be wide over here. Um, I kind of don't like that fight. I kind of say, you know, whatever is best for you, just go for it and do it. And, and if you try, making your books wide and you're just not getting any traction in, in any of the, the avenues, then try making it exclusive with Amazon and see if that works. So it's, it's a 90 day commitment. So it's, it's, um, not horribly short, but it's, it's not forever either. And you can pull your books out of Kindle Unlimited if it's just not working for you. So I'm a, I'm a big supporter of try this. And if this doesn't work for you, try something else. I would just give it a decent college try. I wouldn't put your books wide and then three weeks later, take them out and put them back in KU if it doesn't work for you. Cause I think it takes a little bit longer than that to really start uh, establishing yourself in, uh, in those other markets. Now, um, do you feel like there are different marketing techniques that are appropriate for people who release frequently versus people who say only release one book a year? That's a great question. Um, I have tried rapid releasing and, um, I don't know that I did much different with my rapid release books other than, um, I did have a a link to the next book in the back and, um, put a first chapter in and, and did a pre-order thing like that. Um, so I think maybe rapid releasing, um, is a little bit leans a little bit more towards, um, doing release pre pre-orders and, and, um, pushing the next book in, in the book you're, pushing now, um, rather than releasing and doing a slower launch, like I, um, mentioned with my other books, that's probably what I would do again. If I were to do another rapid release, um, series is to try the pre-order thing with it. Um, I think that's pretty much all I would say is different. Other than that, you still want to do all the newsletters swaps and you still want to um, make sure that you're you're on point with your cover and your description and everything like that. So I think everything else is pretty much the same. Now, uh, let's say that somebody's looking to start off. Uh, would you recommend them uh, banking, like producing more than one book and trying the rapid release thing earlier? Do you think that uh, just the, the single book release is the way to go at the beginning? I would say single book release is the way to go at the beginning uh, until you know what you're writing has a good audience and that people want it. It's, it's really a lot of work to do rapid release and you have to write several books and have them prepared um, ahead of time so you can release them. That's a lot of words to write, not knowing if what you have is going to sell. 
So what I would do is write that first book, polish it up really good um, and put it out there for people. And if it sells really, really well, then you can say, okay, my next um, several books, I'm going to try and write them all and rapid release them. That's my advice. That's really great advice because a lot of people they're like rapid release. That's like the ticket to stardom. And if you're writing the wrong thing and people don't actually want it, then rapid release doesn't do anything. And then also when you're first starting out, you want to, I mean, being consistent is really important and writing. And when you're first starting out, writing takes a lot more time. And so you like bank these books. It takes you like two years to write three books and you release them one a month and then you don't have anything else to release for another year. That's, that's going to be pretty problematic for your career down the line. Yeah, I think so too. I also um, think that if you are putting all your eggs in that rapid release basket and it, it doesn't work, that can be super draining on your um, psyche as well. I know people who have um, stopped writing because they've done all this work and they put it out and it just didn't sell. And they're like, well, I give up. I'm not going to do this anymore. So sometimes you want to make choices that are also good for your mental health. (laughs) Definitely agree with that. And I don't know, like I would say that applies even to authors who've been around for a while and are switching to a new genre or switching pen names, something like that, like my new pen name. And in romance, I've written romance three years ago, but I haven't written romance in a long time. And I was like, I'm not going to rapid release. I just need to just get them out as I'm able, especially with kids, you know, like my Uh life is super it's just, there's too much going on right now. Like my toddler stopped breathing yesterday randomly. That was really not fun. So I'm like, everything got dropped for him, you know? And so when when you're like dealing with just regular life things, banking those books, and then, I mean, you don't want to set the precedence. You want to understand that what you're putting out is going to be taken well, and then just take it a little bit at a time. And Lindsay, what were you saying there in the comment? I say also don't recommend it if you're writing epic fantasy books that can be 200,000 words long. Don't, don't do that to yourself. Oh, um, yeah. I, I did want to add, it does seem like you were talking about earlier, like maybe you can get to a certain level and then you need to pay more for advertising to get to the next level. Rapid release can be a tool to help you get to the next level when you already kind of know you've got a bit of a readership, but it might really, you know, get you more visibility. And it's definitely a nice payday if you can do it and it works out well. <laughs> so yeah. there's, there's that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I, I agree with you on length. If you're rapid releasing, you're going to want to write on the shorter side and, and make sure that your schedule leaves you enough time for all the editing and everything that you have to do in between the books. Well, this has been really fun. Um, especially since you write in the genre I'm, you know, writing in <laughs> like, this is all applicable to me, <laughs> um, but awesome. I would say it's applicable. I mean, there's going to be a lot of authors who are going to take something out of this just because it's, it's common sense in some cases. And, and honestly, when you're first starting out, common sense doesn't, it's not there because I mean, kids don't have common sense yet because it's not something they've learned. And so, you know, you have to, you learn, you know, you learn, like, look at what other books are selling, what they're doing. And that's not something that occurs naturally to people. Um, even people who've been doing it for a while, you know, several years. So this has been very beneficial. Um, where can people find you online? Um, so first off you personally, your books, and then we can go into, you know, you as the author helper person. All right. So (laughs) I did a terrible thing and I published under my real name, which is super hard to spell and and say, (laughs) but if you go on Amazon and you just type Victorine in there and it's spelled just how it sounds, Victorine, um, you will find my books, um, because not a lot of people are named Victorine. (laughs) And, um, if you just do a Google search of Victorine, you'll find my website and stuff like that too. So if you're looking for me, if you know how to spell my first name, you don't even have to spell my last name, which is German and super hard to spell. (laughs) L-I-E-S-K-Y. It's the spell. It's saying it. That's hard. Like, Lieske? Yep, exactly. Yep. My, my son, um, served a mission in, um, in, um, in Indiana, my other son served a mission in, um, Oregon. And, um, so when people, when he introduced himself, he would say it rhymes with risky. And so <laughs> people would know how to pronounce his last name because it was so hard. I think that's what you said to me in my, when I was like, how do I say your name? You're like, I know you said Lisky. I was like, Lisky helps that. That makes it easier. Yes. 
anyway yeah um thank you so much oh yeah your nonfiction stuff so writing gals is your is your youtube channel as well as a facebook group right yeah absolutely and you also have a critique group um could you explain a little bit about that the writing gals critique group what the purpose of that is what people can post in there because i was interested i'm like i need to join this group oh yes so in our facebook group when we started the writing gals um we saw a need for people to post things like, here's my cover. I want your thoughts on my cover, or can you guys help me with my blurb? But we were getting quite a few of them um, in the group and I didn't want it to clog up all the other, um, you know, questions about publishing and things like that. And critique my blurb and critique my cover is, is pretty much, um, specific to what you're writing. It doesn't help a lot of people. It's asking for opinions on what you're doing. Um, so it's helpful to you, but it's, it's not one of those general questions that if you ask it, it'll, it'll help a ton of people. So we decided to break off and make a second group called the writing gals critique group so that people could post those things in there and get the help that they wanted without clogging up our feed with all this look at my cover stuff. And so we kind of separated that out and, and it's been really helpful. I, a lot of people use that, um, group and it's just a Facebook group. So if you go on Facebook and search the writing gals critique group, you'll find it. Yeah. I'm looking forward to joining that. Cause I was like, Hmm, my, you know, I need to get feedback on my, my little, um, romance book, you know, just cause I was like, uh, just making sure I'm hitting the tropes. Right. And I usually write my own descriptions, but then I bounce them off a bunch of different people and switching to a new genre. Those different people aren't necessarily, they're my fantasy people, you know? Oh yes. Anyway. Um, let's see, is there anything else? YouTube channel, you've got the writing gals is on YouTube as well. Um, and then your marketing book, um, whole book marketing. And then the other ones that you have listeners can go look those ones up. You're on Amazon under the same name, right? Yes. They're okay. all under the same name. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, it's been great having you here. Well, thank you for having me on. This has been fun. Yeah. Um, and thank you to everyone for listening and thank you to Josh Pearson for producing the show. You can find the show notes or leave a comment or question at sixfigureauthors.com with the number six and, um, come join the Facebook group. That's where pretty much everything happens. <laughs> so, yeah. all right, everybody, we'll talk to you all later. Bye. Bye. -bye. So long everybody. <laughs>